Good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this Hacking the Red Circle conversation, where we talk to people in the TEDx world you'll want to know better. The show is designed to learn what it takes to produce, organize, promote, and create a world-class event. If you're an experienced organizer, you'll get some great tips. Veteran organizers share lessons they've learned so that first-timers can avoid common missteps. There are hundreds of amazing people in the TEDx universe, and we talk to a lot of them. If this is your first time to the show, welcome. We produce Hacking the Red Circle every week. You'll want to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Now, on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am, I am excited. I get to talk to another educator. You know I love uh, the TEDx in schools. I've got with me today Anne-Marie Galusha, who is the co-organizer of TEDx LSU, which is Louisiana State University, right? That's correct. Welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. Thank you. I'm great, thanks. How are you? When, when's your event? Our event, we actually just wrapped about six weeks ago. It was March 11th, and our next event will be March 2018. So we're in that happy post-production phase right now where we're scrambling to get things. And of course, like so many other people, we're a little bit behind, um, but we're feeling that happy kind of, we're done with the big event and now we can move <laughs> into the recovery kind of mode. So, what is the, What's the biggest thing on your mind post-show? For me, one of my primary roles is making sure that all of our language and our talk titles are put together adequately. So my number one stress pretty much from the time we finish with everybody on the stage to the time that we get to renew our license is making sure that the language that we're putting together for all of the talk descriptions is accurate and enticing. It's it's interesting that you say that because I don't know that people understand the nuance of that there's the the tedx media uploader so uh for those of you uh, just a note to the listener if you're listening you're probably a tedx organizer you're somehow involved in the ecosystem if you're not this is a little inside baseball right now what happens after our shows we upload all of the videos through this thing called the media uploader which is really cool but there's some tips and tricks to make that process easy, right? And that's what you're doing. Make sure your descriptions are tight. Make sure your tags are good. Make sure your titles are good. All of that stuff. So so you take care of that yourself. I do the copy for it. And then one of my other co-organizers, he has the pleasure of going through all of the media uploading and then all of those final edits. Uh, we work with an amazing company to do all of our post-production, their digital right. effects. And so right now, one of my other co-organizers who's named Kevin, he is working through all of the actual logistics to prep and do our final edits. Uh, and then he is, he gets to do the interface with the media uploader. I do all of the copies though. It's, um, it's actually a staggering amount of work. I was surprised. Yes. Yes. Right? Yes. The, yes. uh, Shockingly so. w- one of the, the pieces that I found daunting was tagging the talks because the, you, like there isn't a an easy way to do that. And so I went and found, I don't remember where I found it, but I found all of the tags. I think I went and looked at the source on that page. I found all the tags and I made a spreadsheet and I sent it to all the speakers and I said, okay, guess what? You tag your own talk. 
And I said, but you can only pick 10. (laughs) You can only pick 10. Otherwise they pick too many. Right. So they all picked 10 and that, that made it easier uh, for us to do. However, we've gotten way, way, way ahead of ourselves. Our listener loves to hear your um, first taste of Ted story. How did you get involved in this, uh, this universe? Oh, that's, oh man, that's a great question. So I work for Louisiana State University. That's my full-time non-TED job. And, uh, and I work for a program that focuses on communication. And I decided that I was going to take a little bit of time off and go on research leave from my Mm. job. And when I came back a couple of years later, my boss was like, Hey, do you know TED Talks? And I was like, Yeah, yeah, they're great. Yeah. So and what she's year like, was okay, this? Well, we're going to organize them. And what, that year, was, what year was so that? So my first encounter would have been hmm, 2014. And I had been listening to TED Talks here and there. They're one of those things that, um, I don't know, I just sort of stumbled across them. I teach. So I had encountered TED Talks as a sure. form of, you know, prepackaged content to engage my students. Yes. Um, but, um, but it was 2014. Yeah. And I had returned from research leave and my boss was like, Oh, well, guess what? Now you're gonna, you're gonna organize some <laughs> TEDx events. And I was like, what? That's involuntary servitude. <laughs> and she was like, no, no, it's going to be fine. You're going to be, you're going to love it. Don't worry. And I was like, Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Sure. You had no um, clue. I, I I really didn't. I was just, you know, she's a really, really good friend of mine. And she was like, you're the, you're the perfect person. Now that you're done with your research leave, we want you, we want you on the team. Right. right. And so, um, and so she had been co-organizing it with a few other people and our original licensee, whose name is Joey Watson. He start, he, he, he earned our official TEDx license. We did our first event in 2013. So that's when I was away on research leave. And then when I came back was right around the time that Joey decided he was going to take a position someplace else. And so we were, we were transferring the license. Mm-hmm. We had a co-licensee, Melissa Thompson, and we were looking for people to join the team. So my boss was like, Oh, you're on the team now. <laughs> I was like, Thanks, okay, boss. really? I was like, well, all right. Um, but it, but it suited me really nicely because as I said before, I, I work a lot in communication coaching and between my research as a, as a cultural studies person and my experience in communication coaching and my background in performance and production, it, it, it really felt like a good fit. And, um, and it, I have no regrets about it at all. Nice. I will say that I had no idea what I was getting into. <laughs> None of us did. Right. But, no. but you came in. In 2014, there was a fairly large body of work, like the path had been well trodden before you. So how did you seek out resources to figure out what to do? Oh, that's a great question. A lot of, um, for better or worse, a lot of my style is kind of uh, fly by the seat of my pants and uh, put out the the bat signal to see who on the planet might be interested in talking to me about putting stuff together. Um, I was very fortunate that the other TEDxLSU team members had had those first two big Mm -hmm. events under the belt already. So I was kind of I was able to ease my way into it through the rest of 2014 into the 2015 season because a lot of the initial frameworks had been set for how how the TEDxLSU organizers wanted to structure what they were doing. That being said, I will say that 
you know, going into the TEDx hub and, and talking with other members of the TEDx community, it's, it's always, it's kind of like, I, I liken it to go, going into a Barnes and Noble where it's almost paralyzing the amount of resources that are available. So I began to go in there and try to just go tunnel vision into one specific thing right. where I was saying, okay, all right, like I need to do, I need to do a mean catch up right now on speaker coaching specifically for Ted talks to figure out if the way that I've been coaching for communication and the way that people coach for Ted talks has any kind of overlap and what other kinds of tools I could be picking up. Um, or, you know, I need to, I need to drill down really hard looking at my volunteer team structures to figure out right. how, uh, how other people are, are trying to herd all of these, all of these cats who are so excited <laughs> and so all over the place. Um, and so I do find the hub really helpful for that, but I find that, that if I don't know exactly what I'm trying to look for, I can go down this, this frightening rabbit hole where suddenly I'm looking at people's production sets from two years ago, or I'm looking at everybody's program booklets that they're up uploading. And, uh, and so, but I think it's all slowly trickling in there, right? Nice. And it's that process of, um, that process of osmosis that really begins to set every new season in motion in some fashion. So the, um, I, I, have, I have a similar experience with the um, jumping in the deep end with the hub. And I, I too, like you will find a specific thing. What I am also finding works is on the TEDx Facebook group, that closed group. That, yeah. uh, like for instance, right now I'm really interested in what, um, people are doing for call for participation for speakers, like what, yeah. what works from a workflow point of view. And cause I've tried lots of different things and I'm, I'm up for something new and, you know, you put something out there and within 24 hours, I've got three pages of stuff to read and go yeah. look at. And, you know, this community is fabulous. And what I, my hope is that this show becomes a similar resource where we, you know, we've got 25 we started with, but now we're dripping out one a week. So you can kind of listen to someone, something will listen to you and get inspired by that specifically around the, the education and the university side of it. So I want to keep going along that path. Um, so <clears throat> you, you did uh, 2014, 2015, 2016, and just finished 2017. So you've got four under your belt. Have you... Um, been um, uh, tempted to do a women salon or youth event? That's a really good question. I will say that those are both things that have been on the table for us as organizers. Yeah. Because of the structure of our TEDx programming, I think that at this point, we're probably going to stick primarily with just having straight up TEDx LSU, but then we also have a salon license and that has enabled us, right? Yeah. And that has enabled us to get a little bit more focused on things like women in leadership or um, specific emerging youth uh, innovations in the Baton Rouge area. So we have been interested in, in, focusing on those as subjects, but not explicitly looking at them as creating a TEDx youth in, in Baton Rouge or a, a TEDx women. So you do a salon instead. Correct. Yeah. How is the yeah. salon experience from a uh, organizing point of view different for you? 
For me, it really, I mean, it depends on how you want to structure the salon. We just this past year put together our our first set of salons is our first year with a salon license. So for me, I like to do the salons because it's essentially a dress rehearsal for the big day. Right. And, uh, at least, at least this is, this is my perspective on it and, and not, not for somebody who might be speaking and not for the actual programming itself, but rather for the, the volunteers that we have, to get them onboarded mm-hmm. on how to actually logistically accomplish something like this. Right. So we had a salon in August of last year, and that was an opportunity for all of our volunteers to perform a lot of trial and error with regard to marketing, uh, sure. with regard to the logistics for room space and event coordinating and then follow up and attendee experience. And so I think that's an incredibly valuable opportunity, even even in addition to the content of the salon that is right. that is being structured. And I will say that for me personally, given the goals that I have as a TEDx LSU organizer, I I like to do the kinds of salons that involve less about having a speaker that gets recorded that you then do a post production video on. And more about the salons where you're bringing a bunch of community members together to curate some TED Talk viewing right, and right, then right, facilitate right, right. a broader conversation. And I, and I think for me, from where I'm sitting, that makes it not so labor intensive right. that I'm w- regretting our decision to right, get a salon right, license. Right. But it, but the, the the payoff in terms of sort of that dry run for our volunteers That's, to get themselves together is I, is massive. I, I hadn't heard it quite put that way. I, I appreciate that. What is it that makes? Um, well, first off, how many people at the big event? This past year, we just jumped up pretty pretty starkly. We had. In 2016, we had, I think, just over 600 people. And this past event on March 11th, we had over 900. And what was the, was there a palpable difference between the two? Um, Other than the the logistical, I mean, it's just 300 more of everything, but but just from a, a, a sense of the user experience. My, and again, I can't, I can't speak for the attendee because I spent most of my time backstage in production. Right. Right. But, um, I would say that based on the feedback we received and the volunteers who were in that front of house attendee space, there wasn't a dramatic difference in terms of the attendee Mm. experience. And I think part of that is because we knew, we knew well before 2017 that our goal was to get 900 plus people in that space. So we'd allotted an adequate amount of planning time to say, okay, like we're going to have to reduce a little bit of personalization or, or really what it was logistically was reducing one or two exhibits from the outside space. Right. But we also had the good fortune a few years ago to move into a, a theater space that actually can hold 1200 people and there is literally no bad seat in the house. Oh, don't you love that? Oh my gosh, yeah. The the theater space we did, we use the LSU Union Theater, and they've been amazing to work with. And um and and I've gone to some things in 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 that theater prior to our, our TEDx LSU programming, and I think that really makes a, a real difference in terms of the attendee experience itself. Because whether you're 
in row double Z or row double mm, A, mm, mm. it's, 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 it's the same kind of experience, right? And between the sound and the production and those interactive spaces that we build into the theater, I think that we did not compromise on the attendee experience by adjusting the numbers of attendees at all. And I'm very, very grateful for that. I want to know on those um, TEDx LSU, which is kind of nice. You don't have one of the long names like Coral Mangala in India. Right. Uh, those letters are, are massive. I'll, I'll make sure I post the picture in the show notes. Did you okay. have those constructed and then you keep them in storage someplace or do you have to redo it each year? We had them constructed. We actually had um, one of one of our friends, one of our TEDxLSU friends is Lamar Advertising. And they're, um, they're really well known. They've pretty much cornered the market on out of home advertising which means that they have a massive 3D printer. And uh, because they are awesome, and I don't know what we did for them to decide that they liked us, uh, because they are awesome, they 3D printed our TEDxLSU letters. No, hey, ladies and gentlemen listening, these, I think, are taller than me, and I'm six foot three, so they're huge. <laughs> oh, my gosh. They're that's not, not that big. <laughs> it, well, they, they have stature. They, they, they are very, they, they're formidable. They're yes. strong, right? It's a strong brand, right? I love that. Yeah. Tell me, what is it that you do to go out of your way to make your TEDx unique and special for the students? So our TEDx programming is unique for a few different kinds of reasons. First and foremost, we have the Louisiana flavor to it and sort of the, the branded Louisiana identity is that no matter what it is that you're doing, there's the sense that if you're hosting an event, you're bringing people into your house, right? And it's simultaneously an intellectual celebration of all of the stuff that's emerging out of South Louisiana. And then also um, just an incredibly intense social time as well. Like Louisianans love to throw parties. And historically, they are very good at throwing parties. So from an attendee experience, we do a great job of combining the actual TED Talk experience with a, an overall day-long mm. event where we bring people in and there's food and there's um, fun interactive activities for people to have. And, um, and, I, and I know that that is not unique in and of itself in terms of TEDx programming, um, specifically in terms of the logistics for the event itself. I think that we have a, a nice combination of building a space for students to watch TED Talks, for students to give TED, give TED Talks potentially, but then really the crux of what we're doing as organizers is creating a space for students and community members and faculty members and the LSU campus and also at Southern University which is um, the the sister university in Baton Rouge. Mm. So, um, so we're creating a space where all of those different groups of people are forced to be with each other <laughs> on, 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 on a peer-to-peer level, though, too, right? Because I can be teaching one of my geography classes, and I can be I can be organizing a TEDx program, 
And my students might have to call me Dr. Galusha when they're in the classroom. And my students call me Anne Marie when we are sitting together writing something for a magazine to, to do some. And furthermore, I, I might be able to, the way that we structure our programming is that the, the TEDx LSU annual event itself is open for anybody. It's not just for students. It's not just for community members. So we have a broad attendee base. But the way that we organize it ourselves, I was talking about my volunteers earlier. We have four primary organizers and we have anywhere from 30 to 75 student volunteers who are part of what we call a creative communication team. And so this creative communication team is a space where LSU students from a variety of majors, a variety of backgrounds with a variety of skill sets have the opportunity to work in a high stakes setting mm-hmm. their skills. And one of the things that makes this programming unique is that because it is a TEDx program, people in the community get excited about getting involved, which means that as an educator, it's a really easy sell for me to be like, Hey, do you want to spend some time with me as I organize a TEDx program? By the way, do you want to do some one-on-one mentoring for my 65 students? And then they go, yeah, we do. Um, And and for them, for them, the payoff's great because they don't have to pay somebody that they're working with, but they have the opportunity to sort of vet their skills. So let's say we've got somebody who works in promotional messaging and they've, you know, they've got a rapidly growing company. They're doing really well. They love Southern Louisiana. They're proud of the work that comes out of Baton Rouge. And they're eventually going to be looking for some really skilled people to hire for some entry-level positions. They mentor my students and basically try them on. And they say, I'm going to talk you through all this stuff while we're putting together this TED programming. And I'm going to see whether or not you can hack it. And if you can hack it, then I might call you in for an interview uh, at my company a year from now when you actually graduate. So, and I've got a good friend of mine. She is one of our mentors and her company is called Reputation Capital Media Services. And, And she always jokes every year that she does this, that when she signs on to mentor for TEDxLSU, she gets to do her own version of the RepCap Hunger Games. Um, and she says this because, you know, she'll start with 12 students who are working on writing. And then she's like, 12 of them start, two of them finish. And then I know who my interns are. Um, and, I, and I appreciate the way that she approaches it because she's willing to put that time in for my right, students. Right. Um, but, but she also is getting something out of it at the end of the day. And, and the larger goal that all of us are working towards is celebrating the ideas worth spreading that are emerging from the Southern Louisiana area. And so without that TEDx identity, I really don't think that we would be as successful as a community in marquing the great stuff that we have going on. And I also think from a a broader social and cultural standpoint, if I can show students who are from this area that there's really great stuff happening in Baton Rouge, then from a cultural perspective in this part of the state, 
we're reducing the likelihood that there's going to be brain drain, right? right? right and we're right, increasing right, the likelihood right. that we're going to continue to stimulate that sense of local to global engagement and social responsibility. And those are things that I care an awful lot about. And that's why, that's why when my boss told me that I was suddenly going to be a TEDx organizer, I was really excited about it because those are, those are things I'm passionate about. And I see the TEDx model as an amazing way to leverage that kind of continued progress in any community, uh, but particularly in the Baton Rouge community. So when you think about all of the skills you've got to be facile with to do this, and you've had to learn these on the job, um, I like to think of them as superpowers because, you know, we don't get paid. You know, we have jobs and we've got to do this in addition to our normal job, as you know. Oh my gosh, uh, even yeah. if your boss tells you, you still, yes. you, we don't, you didn't get any extra pay for this. No, definitely not. <laughs> so I, I got it categorized into six superpowers and I'm curious which one you most identify with organizing, collaborating, producing, marketing, curating, or partnering. Gosh, this is a hard question. And, and to be blunt, I feel like there's so much overlap between these. It's really hard for me to, for me to, there really are, there are, which is why I I actually called this list down from 37. (laughs) Right. So the mind map I've made of all the things I think you need to be good at is, is extensive. And I chunked it into this as much because some people it's like, they love, you know, putting the pieces together. Some of them, they love building a team. Some, they love the partner bit. Some, they love, some, it's all about curation and they have their team do all the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think, I think that's a great way to, a great way to structure it, to, to break it down. I would say that for me, my favorite part about the job would, would be collaborating. Right. And I, I guess my, I, I don't know if it truly is my superpower, but I would hope that if it's my favorite part, it's actually the part that I'm also really good at. Um, but one of the things that energizes me every time we begin a new season prep is the idea that I get to spend a whole bunch of time with a lot of different people who are very different. And mm-hmm. e- even, even beyond that, I really see as one of my favorite parts, and I would argue one of my strengths, although my co-organizers might feel differently, is uh, is that I'm able to connect the dots between, let's say, a speaker who is brilliant, but really up in their head, right, and really trapped inside their super brilliant, heavy research mind, right? I can connect that person to the student who's really passionate about learning more, but who does not understand what that field is. And I can connect a community partner who wants to help this speaker prepare their talk. Right. And, um, and all, and all of those other people who are connected. Right. So I I think that, I think I'm, I think one of the things I bring to the table for our team is that I foster the communication and the translation between all of those different people that play a part in creating TEDxLSU. You, you, your communications coaching is coming through in every answer, by the way, just so you know, you're, <laughs> you're, you're very on brand professor. Uh, what's been the biggest surprise for you? Oh, hmm. the biggest surprise for me actually is how, and I was just thinking about this very recently 
when I was much younger, I spent a lot of time in theater. And when I was slightly younger, I spent a lot of time in crisis communication. And it surprises me how those two things have combined to be really valuable tactics and skills for creating a TEDx LSU event. Um, because, you know, we're, we're, we're facilitating performance essentially yeah. for our speakers, right? Yeah. We're coaching them through that delivery. Yeah. But then also we're in this process of figuring out how to translate everybody's uh, emotions and everybody's stress into something productive, right? And again, that idea of having to be incredibly concise and level-headed and, um, and to be aware that things can be urgent, but they are not necessarily an emergency. Those are two things that, that really shocked me. Like I don't, um, I, I sort of took for granted that I had been properly trained in those things mm. when I was younger. And I never, ever would have imagined, never would I have imagined that those two things would be such a pronounced part of what I do in the TEDx organizing world. So um, when I when I agreed to do TEDx LSU, I was thinking that my experience in writing and spoken communication would be sort of the things I drew on. And those are they just seemed easy for me. Um, but um, or perhaps my experience in cultural studies, right, uh, would sure, be good sure. for, for, you know, essentially fact checking, right, making sure that we when we have speakers who are talking about those kinds of topics. Uh, we can we can comfortably support the assertions that they're making because they're empirically grounded, right? Um, and and I use those for sure, but I never would have imagined that the types of skills that were required of me, um, and 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 to be aware of the fact that I actually already had those skills was a bit of a shocker. So hence why it was a surprise. Um, yes. <laughs> the uh, the other thing I'm. You know, uh, you're a storyteller. I mean, you're a communications coach. You understand storytelling. Every good story has um, drama. There's no story unless there's conflict. What's the biggest? Right. What's the biggest conflict for you as you're producing these events? Oh, hmm. well, you know, there's the epic battle against the clock that we all face. <laughs> right. And uh, and within that too, I would say one of the one of the bigger challenges I have, and I want to be clear, this is also one of the biggest payoffs for me. One of the biggest challenges I have is that is when we have a speaker who is really passionate about sharing their message. And I'm thinking specifically about some of the challenges when you look at academic researchers. Mm. These are passionate people who have dedicated their entire careers, some of whom have been working on these things longer than I have been alive. Wow. Um, so they're clearly invested and they're invested in sharing that with the general public, but there's always that hurdle, that mental hurdle that comes with forcing somebody to consider who their audience is and to become not simply aware of, but comfortable with the idea that they're going to have to craft a message in a different way. That because is, I think one of the most, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. No, you're deal. exactly right. Right. Um, Cause I, I think that's one of the best, one of the best things that Ted talks have to offer or that I am forced to translate the stuff that I do in my own world into a language and a context that a global audience can understand. Yep. Yep. 
And, and, and that can be hugely challenging for some speakers. And I, I struggle with that so hard sometimes, but, but again, when it clicks and that, and, and, and it always does, right. For sure some people, yeah, it yeah, clicks yeah, right yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. for some people, it clicks after dress rehearsals and they're yeah. like, Oh no. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. But that moment when it clicks is that moment when I'm like, yes, yes, right. this is it. This is why we do this. Exactly. When they, when they step onto the red circle and you know, we, we have them take a deep breath and just soak it in for just a millisecond and then connect with the audience and then it's go time. And, don't think, just channel channel that energy and do that yep. talk. Uh, my wife's a speaker coach. Um, she's actually a professional speaker coach now for TEDx organizers. And right on. Uh, she's done like, I don't know, 160 talks or something. And Wow. So I'm around that all the time. But, you know, the, the we call it the road to the red circle because it's a bumpy road, you know. It's, <laughs> as, as you know, right, you know, um, I, I actually, for this year's event, we're closely aligned with the local university and the topics I want to go after me are going to mean that I have to get a lot of professors. So I'm, yeah. I, I'm that, that whole idea my other show, I talk to professors all the time and I, and it seems like professors have two audiences, other professors and their yes. students. Yes. And civilians don't get to listen to that. No, they don't. Right. And yeah. so, on my other show, I love, I talk to professors all the time. I love it. I feel like I'm, I'm getting a one-on-one masterclass with a, a, a world's expert in whatever that thing is that they do. And I get to ask them civilian questions and they talk to me. And as soon as they go into professor speak, we got a bell and I get the bell. And I'm, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, 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 Break it down for me, professor. I need to hear this. I love that. What, what, if, you know, not your, you know, you're a veteran. You're now looking at gearing up for your fifth show. What advice specifically for university events would you give other organizers? Ooh, good question. Okay. Yeah. So if you are an organizer who is also a faculty member or an administrator, and you're working with a student volunteer team, and I'm going hyper-specific on this. Yeah. One of the best things you can do for yourself, in my humble opinion, is let go of control. And, and I say this when people are teaching, and I say it in these kinds of moments, and I say it because it's hard and I struggle with it, and when I can do it successfully, the payoff is incredible. But you have to create a space where your volunteers know how very important they are and how much ownership and accountability they have. And in order to do that, you have to relinquish some of the kinds of structures that you might impose if you were in a traditional classroom environment, right? And this goes back to me being a very different person when I'm teaching a class than I am when I am co-organizing an event. And when I'm teaching a class, I'm not even a little bit ashamed to say that you know, I'm pretty structured. Um, you know, some students might have called me sadistic at one point. Um, Here it is. Because I'm just pretty straightforward. And then there's not there's not a lot of wiggle room. And I don't care how many times the same grandmother has died. Right. Um, but when I'm in a collaborative organizational space, 
the students are my peers in that right. space, right? right? And my job is to essentially be a mentor, but not to be somebody who's imposing specific structures on them or specific mm-hmm. rules on them. And at the end of the day, as an organizer, you know, the buck does stop with me, where if a volunteer has, has taken on more than they can handle, or if a volunteer has just completely sort of ghosted out and yet still is trying to claim they're a part of the team, then I still have to be a little bit of a hammer in that space, right? And my job is to teach and to, to mentor and to get us to that event successfully. But it's very, very different. So I would say that anybody who is looking to do an, a university event, if you're somebody who's a faculty member or an administrator, let go of some of the things that you think you know about how to structure that and how to control it. And I would say if you're a student and you're looking for this experience, seek out as many community mentors as possible because they will help you figure out how to take this experience, elevate it for your university, but also how you can take this experience and enhance your own professional development opportunities. I, I love how you added students in that um, when the show is up, I'd love to um, have your team, your 80 volunteers, listen to it and uh, maybe even use it as a bit of a recruiting tool so they can uh, oh my God, get a sense, yeah. right? That would be great. What, what, what are you now that you're 11 months out? What are you looking forward to for next year? Have you thought, I mean, it's, I know that might be too early, but. It's kind of like, you know, one door closes and the other one opens. Like, oh, we got another show. We'll take a little break. But what, what are you looking forward to? Oh, yeah. I would say um, this year was, frankly, this, this was a hard year for Baton Rouge, right? We had um, multiple shootings plus some catastrophic flooding. And this year in particular, has been brutal for pretty much anybody I know who's in the Baton Rouge area. And so this entire TEDx LSU experience for our March 11 event has sort of been an unofficial theme has been like, we got to do this because we got to make something good in the community because this year has been really hard and we're, we're all in the process of recovering or trying to help each other recover. And, um, and, and, and the burden of really creating a thing so that people felt inspired and positive, it was, it was palpable. It was, it was something that weighed really heavily on me. And, uh, and I know it did on our entire student volunteer team, our entire uh, organiza- organizational team and our community mentors team, right? So um, now that we've gone through the March 11 event, and we're sort of taking our little bit of downtime here. The thing I am most excited about is that we're basically clean slating it, right? We we get to re-engage to prep for our 2018 event, knowing that we successfully executed a continued positive thing in our community. And there's no small sense of relief that came on March 12th. Yeah. When I was like, yes, this thing got done. This thing got done and we had 900 people. And as a community, we're invested in continuing positive momentum. And um, and so I would say from a, on a very personal note, I am excited about the fact that we get to start next year 
knowing that even in the midst of one of the most intense years in the city's history, we were able to put this thing together and do it successfully. And that kind of allows us to take a, a bit of a breath and get a little bit playful again mm-hmm. with, um, with, with what we're doing. Right. So, um, and I think too, we've got every year with our creative communication team, we experiment with different structures and that's part of one of the payoffs for me as an educator is that I get to, um, is that, I, you know, it sounds really creepy. I get to experiment with these teams and then, um, and then explore how, how students are learning. And so as an educator, I'm excited about how, how I'm going to come together with my returning students and really figure out the structure for how we want to maneuver the logistics for this upcoming event in, in the year. So I think social so scientists um, are, are going <laughs> to study all of us organizers uh, archaeologically. And, and because we all, we, you know, it, the similarities between what we're doing, it just, it's staggering. I mean, it's, it, there's a, you know, pretty well set format, yet there's so much room to breathe within that. And oh, we yeah. all, because it's volunteer, because we all are bringing different skills to the table, you know, you're bringing specific expertise in communication and crisis communications and in theater. And, and we all bring different stuff to it. So they all have a different flavor. I think that somebody somewhere down the road, Hey, researcher, if you're listening, give me a call. Uh, (laughs) I've got a lot of content we could pour through. Uh, We're, you know, we're learning a lot from one another. And I think the spirit of that is pretty fantastic. So in the spirit of learning from another TEDx, um, I have a magical red circle that can fly you anywhere to any TEDx in the world. Where am I taking you? Oh, so having just come from TED Fest uh, this this past week, this has been on my mind a lot. I felt as though every single person I met who was an organizer, I wanted a ticket to go see their events. Um, I would say that a couple of events that have been on my list for a while now um, would be TEDx Jacksonville. That would be one I, I, I'm really interested in going to. Um, some of my fellow co-organizers have been to TEDx Beacon Street before. And so I really want to go to that one, but I get to glean all the benefits when they go. So, um, And then because I am a, a girl from New England, uh, I would love to go see a TEDx Berkshires event just because it's my hometown sure. and I feel the hometown pride on that one. And I have not been able to go to a TEDx purchase event. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I would say those are, those are sort of the, the top ones in my brain right now, but you know, in half an hour, I'll think of about 10 other places <laughs> I want to go to. So. I love it. Well, and just let me know where those are and we'll send you there too. Um, yes. Excellent. So the show is called, as, as we wrap up, um, shows called hacking the red circle for a very specific reason. We um, have to make do with, you know, we don't have enough time. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough of the, uh, uh, something, whatever that is. And yet we still conquer. And, and in your case, you know, you had floods, you had shootings, and you had, a, you had a lot of bad energy to overcome to get through to what you had to do. And I find that we're very, uh, what did Tony Robbins say? It's not that we lack resources. We lack resourcefulness. And so that's the yeah. hacking mentality. So what's your best hack? It could be at any act, any uh, action related to TEDx. Ooh, yeah. So 
from a logistics standpoint, I would say my best logistics hack is the use of Slack. We use a lot of Slack for a massive team, and I love that. Um, but from a deeper sort of from from a deeper perspective, I would say that um, one of the best things I can do is remember that there's a difference between things that are nice to have and things that we must have. And if I'm really up against the wall and having to make decisions, the first thing I do is ask myself, what's nice to have and what do we have to have? And that will enable me to keep my focus and successfully execute those those parts that we need and, and to do it in such a way that I'm not just getting them done. I'm getting them done incredibly well. Mm, I love that. And Marie, thank you so much. Uh, thank it's really you. nice to meet you. I didn't, did not, well, you know, 565 people last week at Tech Fest. I didn't get to meet everybody, but, um, it's, it's hard. It was hard. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was fantastic. And the Latin mafia that was there and, uh, yes. you know, I, I had, uh, I think, uh, 15 or 16 of the first set of interviews were there. And oh uh, so they would pull three people and say, Oh, Mark, you got to interview this guy and this girl. And, and here's so oh, up, up, up. So all week long, it was just handing out the cards and, and booking appointments. So it was, fan- it was really, really great. So Wonderful. Um, it was fantastic. So, so nice to meet you and take that well-earned break and uh, we'll get the show up and once it's up we'd love you to share it with uh, your audience and your team and your absolutely. list and they get a little glimpse behind the curtains absolutely yeah okay um, thank, thank you. you so much this has been great yay okay bye-bye <laughs> thanks for listening to hacking the red circle have an idea for a guest for the show or would you like to tell us your tedx story just drop me a note in an email to mark at hackingtheredcircle.com. Please be sure to rate, write, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Makes a huge difference. And share the show with your team as we seek to grow our audience around the world. Until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for Hacking the Red Circle.